I would like to apologise in advance for my massively bunged upedness in this episode. I had just recovered from a massive cold. Okay! Hey boomers, this is Sonic the Comic the Podcast, your look back at the Sega-sational world of the 1990s and the United Kingdom's official Sega comic. We are your humes who think we're in charge. I am Chris McFeely. And I am Dave Bulmer, and this episode we are looking at issue number six on the 7th of August 1993, featuring the world's fastest blue hedgehog, smashing the death egg, the death egg folks, Sonic in space inside, plus Wonder Boy, and the thrill-packed conclusions of Golden Axe and Shinobi. That's right, we're coming in for the final episodes of two of our stories, the very first time we've come to the end of such a thing. We've got news, reviews, charts, the Q-Zone, and more. Chris, this is your first issue. It is, it's my first <laughs> issue. I think we talked about this back in the first episode, but uh, I had been away on holiday with my family, and I'd seen Sonic the Comic in the shops, but I hadn't bought it yet, and I decided when I got home from, from holiday, I was going to go out and buy whatever issue was out. And no sooner were we were we in after the hour or two drive back from the airport than I was, boom, right back out again to the corner shop to get the newest issue, and it was this issue, the one with all the last chapters. <laughs> The last, yeah, very, very strange place to jump on. I would have been a bit uh, switched off by that. I might not have bought it. I mean, because essentially this issue is the end of the first act or arc, or I think last issue they said level of Sonic the Comic. Yes. Uh, It's the end of two of the four serials, and you wouldn't really know it from the Sonic issue, but next issue, as we'll see when we talk about it, it's very much the beginning of the second era of Sonic, or the the, the second coming of Sonic, <laughs> um, as, as the comic really begins to take on the identity that it would be known for. Yeah, I, I kind of think of it as, as when it all really starts, mm. and, and all of this is almost preamble. Yeah. So, in that grand historical sense, mm. uh, it's it's as fitting an issue as any. To Absolutely. begin with, but uh, in in isolation, yeah, I could, yeah, I mean, I don't remember <laughs> feeling put off by the fact that any of the stories were ending. Uh, in fact, as we have said in past episodes, having not been the biggest fans mm. of of Shinobi or when we were kids, yeah. Golden Axe at first, when we when we were little, I wasn't hugely uh, dismayed to find that the the stories starring the people, yes. and the magic were ending. Yes, there's there's something promising about that, isn't there? You sort of think, oh, it might be a tale story instead. That, that's out of the way, you know. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And then, of course, the the stories that would start up afterwards would be one would one would be one of my all time personal favourites, and one would be even more about just people than any <laughs> of the, than either of the previous two that we'd had. But sometimes they almost said swears in it. So when oh. you were eleven, that was the. Sh- Anyway, that is next <laughs> issue. This issue, the cover picture, so basically it's styled as if the whole cover is a screen, a TV screen, out through which Sonic is punching his way. And uh, behind him there's all the static left over. And all of the bits of glass are shooting out at us. So, fair enough, cool. And uh, something I'm, I'm, I've been wondering about where to put this in the podcast because it doesn't really fit at the end so i'm going to start putting it here at the beginning if you turn the comic over there is always a full page advert on the back cover this fortnight it is an advert prepare yourself for mortal monday 13th of september 1993 the beat-em-up to beat-em-all mortal combat will be released on 
the SNES, the Game Boy, the Mega Drive, the Master System, and the Game Gear. The ultimate smash em, rip em, kick em, beat em up. Mortal Kombat is the most realistic game of its kind ever created. It's got the moves, the speed, and the digitized graphics of the coin-op original. And the two-player option means you can go head-to-head with a friend. Choose from several colossal competitors, including Sub-Zero, Kano, and Scorpion. Each comes complete with secret weapons and unique trademark moves. All the monster-sized digitized competents have artificial intelligence, making them even harder to beat and just plain harder. Harder. The British harder there, meaning tougher and more muscly. <laughs> Mortal Kombat will outclass every game you've ever seen. Ferociously fast and unnervingly realistic, this could be the last game you ever, you ever play. play. Talk about overselling something. I mean, I enjoyed Mortal Kombat, but... <laughs> and speaking of overselling something, let's turn now to Megadroid. <laughs> hey, a link! Nice! Listeners, if you've been confused by this section up till now, let me remind you, if this is your first issue, just like it was Chris's, the inside front cover of each comic, it's called The Control Zone, and it's basically where the fictional character Megadroid, a Megadrive turned into a robot, as it were, um, addresses the reader and just tells them what's going on, what the comic's about, what to expect, things like that. And the first sort of box of text is called Welcome Screen. And uh, that's where he generally tells you what's going on. And and this issue, this fortnight, he's mostly talking about the fact that this is the end of this Mm. little era. And I I don't really recall them doing this again. I don't think it ever quite lined up like this again. The the, the two central strips in the comic would often end at the same time since they tended to work on six-part serials. Oh, well, okay. Well, I'll look out for that then. Because, yeah, I don't remember them having this kind of cataclysmic everything's coming to an end issue yeah. very often. I don't think there was ever the sense again of a like a quantum shift like there is from this issue into the next one, you know, where cuz next issue, you know, the sonic strip I suppose you could say issue 100, but that's a way off. Oh sure, yeah, but that's a, that's an event storyline. Down at the bottom here it says coming to a street near you next issue, Streets of Rage. And we've got pictures of Axel, Blaze, and Max. Now, a couple of uh, episodes ago, and I think I actually edited this out, but hey, whatever, I uh, I was musing on the fact that I thought that Axel was called Axel Blaze, and that was absolutely mm. wrong. I guess this is why. I must have taken it to heart here, where it says Axel Blaze. And that the Megadroid assures us that they haven't forgotten skits. He'll be along later. <laughs> yes, that's right. Because Streets of Rage 2 was, was already out at this point. The uh, middle section here is called Call the Sega Bus Line, in which we're told yet again that the Sega bus is going to be pootling about the country and how to get in touch with it. Um, if you're interested, uh, you can call 0891-700-505, and that's charged at 36p per minute cheat rate, 48p per minute at all other times, so watch out and do ask the person who pays the phone bill before you call that. But uh, all the revenue generated from the line will be donated to the NSPCC, so it's a good deal. Don't call. I don't know what that line goes to now. Could be something bad. It could be, yeah. But hey, maybe it's something bad that donates all its proceeds to the NSPCC still. So. Yeah. <laughs> Do you notice he didn't call us boomers on the welcome screen? No, I session? did not, really. No hey boomers. No hey boomers at the very start. Oh, heck. Well, I hope- did you do one at the beginning? I think you did. Oh, I did, yes. Good, okay. Well, that's all right then. Whew. I mean, it feels wrong to miss it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also, Megadroid is advertising that we're going to be having Kid Chameleon next issue. Yes. I-, I kind of don't want to bang on about it because we're actually going to have it next episode, but like... Mm. 
they're real. All the welcome screen is talking about today is what's happening next issue. It doesn't really mention this issue at all. Mm. Well, I mean, as time would go on, um, I mean, it, that's the funny thing is, I'm pretty sure I haven't read ahead yet. I feel like I'm pretty sure the next issue's welcome screen is going to be kind of a repeat of this one. I mean, oftentimes the welcome screen it was kind of like it was it was the Megadroid was uh, less editor, more hype man yes. to tell you about what was coming up in future issues, what free gifts you would have, and until and, and whenever other publications, summer specials poster magazines would come out it would it would tell you about those as well cool spot in at number one on the mega drive brand new hey brand new and it had been the advert on the back cover for the first couple of issues so for at least for the last few months they've been advertising it i guess this is when it came out do you ever have cool spot absolutely well i had the demo on the amiga i i played it but i didn't own it yeah i thought it was incredibly well animated and uh generally interesting and of course it, it wasn't until god i don't know the internet anyway uh which was a number of years later that i found that out you discovered it go on go on that that it was the red dot from the seven upload that's right i had absolutely no idea cool spot was any kind of tie-in thing i thought it was just a sega character i i feel like i don't know how but i feel like i did know that mm-hmm. at the time I don't know why. I, I, maybe I read it in a magazine. I mean, probably. And they, I, I can't imagine they were trying to hide it from us, but I was just... Or, or, or maybe. Maybe they review it in here and say it. Maybe. But I think... I mean, this is where I got all my information. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think we already had Fido Dido as the mascot for 7-Up uh, at this point. Was he 7-Up or was he Sprite or something? I think uh, he was 7-Up. He was 7 seven- yeah, yeah I, I think you're so. right there. And that was yeah. a that was a popular character in my class among interestingly the exact same boys who were into East 17 who I've previously mentioned too. Oh. <laughs> they had a very particular brand going on. They had a type, yeah, they yeah, had that uh, lackadaisical loose fitting clothing there um, you go. type. <laughs> Editor Dave here, editing this episode on a lovely day, so I've got all the windows open, so sorry if you can hear any traffic going past. But um, I've done a bit of research, and it seems that Fido Dido was actually replaced by CoolSpot as the 7-Up mascot. Well, given that I found out about Fido Dido because of those boys in my class who were fans of his, and he was definitely a 7-Up mascot when they were into him, and given that I wouldn't be in that class with those boys until after the summer when this issue comes out and we find out that CoolSpot, the game, is coming out, all of that suggests to me that we had Fido Dido as the 7-Up mascot when America had Cool Spot. And that to me feels like more evidence that we didn't have Cool Spot as a 7-Up mascot in the first place, which does explain why we just think of him as a video game character. Anyway, right in. Other thing uh, to, to mention here is that the Mega CD chart has a seventh game now. Ooh. Afterburner 3 in at 3. So now there are seven games on the Mega CD. How tremendously exciting. Gripping stuff. Uh, I wonder how long it takes to get to 10. Watch this space, boomers. Yeah. <laughs> Attack on the Death Egg. Written by Nigel Kitching. Art by Farron Rodriguez. And letters by Ella Fail. When the wreck of the Death Egg begins to fall from orbit, Sonic and Tails acquire a spaceship from Dr. Robotnik's Wing Fortress and head into space to stop the plummeting satellite from crushing the Emerald Hill Zone. Fighting past the robot duplicate of himself that's still standing guard, Sonic steers the Death Egg into the ocean and bails out just in time. This is Nigel Kitching's second story, and just like the first, where he launched in with the idea of the Star Posts and Robotnik building a base in the Special Zone, 
Here he just, he'd already blown the doors up, but he just picks them up, bolts them back on, and blows them <laughs> off again with this wonderfully casual, offhanded introduction of uh, Sonic's underground secret headquarters, uh, yeah. formerly the laboratory of Dr. Kintobor, and the Kintobor computer. Things that would become massive parts of Sonic the Comic Zone, like internal lore and, and setup for Sonic. Stop! Confused? You might be if you're new to this British Sonic stuff, so let me quickly fill you in. You just heard the name Dr. Kinterborn. That's a character from the then-canonical origin story of Sonic, in which he meets kindly scientist Dr. Kinterborn, who, when his scientific equipment disastrously misfires, is transformed into the evil Dr. Robotnik. None of which has actually been mentioned in this comic before, and it will be later, so we're going to hear more about it in a future issue. This story, and the assumption that it was understood to have happened, formed the backbone of all pre-comic Sonic spin-off material, particularly the Martin Adams series with four novels, and Stay Sonic, the handbook that was the best starting point for any kid who liked the games and wanted to know more about the character. When we say the Kinterbor computer, we refer to something that's going to be very important later on in the series, but which makes an early appearance here in the opening panel of this comic in a rather undeveloped form and as a bit of an aside. Kinterbor's smiling face is projected out of the top of a computer monitor. We're told whose face it is, and no more is really said about or done with it. For now. It'll be as important as Red Sneakers later. And it'll take like another 15 issues before we'll get there. And certainly, uh, whenever that happened in the comic 15 issues from now, I did not at all remember that this issue was the prototypical introduction of the Kintobor computer where it doesn't it does not yet exist in the form that it would in uh, in later issues. Well, I did remember that, but it was a such a reboot of it. Yeah. And it, and 15 issues if if that's when it is, it's so far ahead in real time. It's like it felt like a completely different yeah. era. But yes, what we've got here is uh, the first is it mention of the name Kintobor in this It is. Comic? Yeah, and they so, but I, so I mean so again great first issue for me yeah oh absolutely because i come in fresh with a mind full of the story from stay sonic yeah and i come in and i'm immediately hearing about dr but sonic tails asks about the computer if kintobor was changed into robotnik like you said how come that's his face so for me boom okay it all ties together this is the lore this is the truth so to anyone who's not looking at a, an issue or a scan here the the opening panel is of Sonic and Tails looking at a computer. And at this early stage, with its first design, kind of offhandedly drawn here uh, by yeah, Darren Rodriguez, it is literally just a normal PC. Sonic is sitting at a desk with a normal computer monitor, uh, on the top of which is a, a kind of like a little set-top box that is projecting a sort of sphere of grid, you know, hologram grid, in which is the smiling face of a sort of good version of Dr. Robotnik. Um... Yes, because it's important to remember for anybody out there who knows is that this is before artist Richard Elson would design the iconic Kintobor appearance that Sonic the comic would use going forward for its many, many years. This is a this is like a prototypical little jelly bean headed, uh, smiley, just Dr. Robotnik looking guy. That's right. I, I do wonder if this issue was written with the assumed knowledge that the reading audience would know this already or not. It, it doesn't take pains to explain it, does it? But but then, it's the, the, in this case, it's the same writer who, in two issues' time, would tell the origin, so maybe he was consciously gearing up to do it. I don't think this would have been what we would think now of as foreshadowing. 
Let me say that better. No. I don't think that this was what we would think of now as foreshadowing. I think this was them just going like, well, this is the franchise. I mean, once you get past that, rather cool introduction like there's yeah. not a lot else to the story it's it's another one of the the kinds of stories we've described in the past where actually probably more than almost any other one uh, yeah um yeah. it just runs through the features of first the wing fortress zone and then the death egg zone there's even a footnote here that specifically says this all happened in the sonic 2 game so this is presented as sonic going back to the wing fortress to get the spaceship from the end of the level in the game so they can fly up to the death egg which is wrecked after the end of sonic 2 and is going to crash and he has to fight the the sonic robot what do they call that sonic robot dave i believe they call that the silver sonic is that not the one from the master system well the problem is these details have changed with time and it's yeah. very difficult to figure out what we call them back then these days he gets called mecha sonic but I, i'm fairly sure that's a retcon maybe to differentiate him from the 8-bit version because if i'd heard the word mecha back then i would have taken it to heart as the it would have been the first time i'd ever heard the word mecha so it would have attached to this character and it didn't i know that we and by that i mean me and people i knew referred to the sonic 2 boss as silver sonic whether we were right yeah i can't tell you so yes th so that that is just that as for the explanation of, of Kintobor, I think it's summed up pretty well in the first speech balloon, which, it, well, the first caption says, the underground laboratory of Dr. Kintobor, now the secret headquarters of a certain blue hedgehog. And as you've already elucidated, Tails then says, but Sonic, if Kintobor was changed into Robotnik, like you said, how come that's his face? Uh, referring to the fact that, you know, there's a hologram of his face here. And that really tells you what, you know, when you're 11 years old and you really hoover up and retain information... That kind of counts as an origin story. You you yeah, are sort of going like, all oh, right, cool. That's what happened. While the story itself is is just another running of the zones, it does feel like the first time that we're truly seeing tales presented in the context that the um the marketing would as a mascot. The uh, one sentence idea for tales is that he's the tag along kid who follows behind Sonic, can't quite keep up but always tries, and who Sonic likes but is you know he's kind of annoyed by his constant presence all the time. And this you know we had Robofox in issue two, which was kind of um using that idea to tell a story. Uh, but in this case, this is really our first go of a story where that's just the setup. Uh, Tails yeah. tags along after Sonic. And, you know, there's some some what would become the very much Kitching's trademark portrayal of Sonic in this one, where he's uh, feigning cool and feigning disinterest and relaxation um, while in the middle of a, a tough situation. You know, Tails is that's on right. the other side of a wall going, is everything all right in there? And it's like, it's fine! <laughs> Yes, now there's two um, contributors to that uh, here, this issue. You've yes. got Nigel writing his what will become trademark sarcastic Sonic. And meanwhile, we've got this artist called Ferran Rodriguez. He has a very, very interesting style that I just remember it really sort of stood out because on the one hand, it's quite sort of flat and geometric. And it is. It, it's simple. The yes. backgrounds in particular are lacking. Yes, but at the same time, this is the closest we've ever got to, like, correct drawings of Sonic. Absolutely. Now, Rodriguez would do a, a, a few more issues in the series, and I had to uh, double-check to make sure that, in my mind, I remembered, this is a Ferran Rodriguez issue, right? But then I had to go and look up some of the future issues to make sure that the stories I was also remembering as his were his, mm -hmm. because um, 
His style will take on a much softer tone in future issues that's not immediately recognisable as the same artist who drew this one. No, in, I went and had a look at his online gallery and he's very good at um, drawing in the style of what he's being asked to draw. So he's got Disney artwork up and it looks just like mm. the particular characters that he's drawn. So I think what we've got here is a guy who's very good with a style sheet. So he's got, he's been given pictures of Sonic and... Yeah. He, he, the eyes are perfect. He's the first one who's really nailed Sonic's face. Oh, aesthetically, this is so close to something like yeah. the Son. Even today, yeah. like something like the Sonic Mania shorts or the Sonic CD opening animation. Not not so much yeah. the uh, packaging artwork, but but that slightly more pointier, stylized version of Sonic that you would see in places like that. To the extent that I think he was working almost from a different style mm. sheet. He's got like. He's got a Japanese source here that he's drawing from because I recognise this style as something I discovered later. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's also got that um, that slightly uh, grainy, airbrushy look. Very, very textured that yeah. Sonic box art would have. So again, from my point of view. As my first issue, I open it and I'm like, yeah, that's not somebody doing an approximation of Sonic. Yeah. That's Sonic. Is yeah, what I'm seeing there. I've said that he's good with the style sheet when he's drawing Sonic and Tails. It's extremely accurate. The illustration of the Wing Fortress looks like it was like copied from a map, you know, like a, a guidebook. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just a, a landscape shot of the thing in two dimensions. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly dead on, like almost a cross section. That's how side on you are looking at it. It's, it's a diagram. It's not the most dynamic strip, but it looks right. That, exactly. One of the ways in which his fidelity to the design document shows itself is that Sonic is almost always wearing a little grin, no matter what mm -hmm. he's saying or doing. Yeah. Um, so, for example, in the at the end of the first page, they discover that the Death Egg, which in a moment we're going to talk about, but the Death Egg is about to crash into and obliterate the Emerald Hill Zone, and, and Sonic seems perfectly comfortable with that. Um, you know, I, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Academically, I completely agree, but I have the same butt. In my mind, it does something to magnify yeah. the sort of smug assholishness of a, of, of exactly. a kitching Sonic. Exactly. I don't think that it's deliberate, but I think it yeah, works in its favour. Yeah, but it's working, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, later on, when you have... I, I think the, the moment when it gets closest to not working is when Tails is annoying Sonic off camera by going like, what's going on, Sonic? What's going on? And, and uh -huh. Sonic's like, Tails, just go away. But he's got that grin on his face. But... Hey, it did tie in with what we'd read in the the game books about his cockiness and things like that. So, so it was good. I think it's worth bringing up here the Death Egg. This is yes the first time the Death Egg is mentioned in this comic, and it's a significant part of this comic. Another instance of a strip in the comic. In fact, probably the first time the Sonic strips done it, mm -hmm. uh, trading on the understanding that you know the games happened already, plot wise. You know, rather yes. than in an abstract yes. sense. Now, to me, this was my first exposure to the concept of the Death Egg. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I had not played Sonic 2 at this... Well, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd fiddled with it. I'd played it a tiny bit. I don't think I had either, but but again, for somehow or one way or another, I think I'd, I'd read somewhere. Right. So the Death Egg, then, for listeners who don't know, is it's... The last level of Sonic 2 is called the Death Egg Zone... And you don't see the exterior of the Death Egg unless you have the level select cheat. But if you were just playing it normally, you would enter this zone and you would be in a, some kind of mechanized 
thing in space. You could see space out of the window and you'd fight Robotnik there. And we're about to visit that in this comic. If you were to look in the level select, there would be a little icon for each zone and the one for the Death Egg would be this this circular thing. Now, I think the intention was that most players would recognise the reference to the Death Star from mm. Star Wars. It was a joke. The Death Star is a big ball-shaped space station with one big circular zappy thing on it. The Death Egg is more or less the same thing, but with two of the circular zappy things resembling Robotnik's eyes and a little metal moustache. There's your joke. That's it. Here it's just an egg. Here it is egg-shaped, not a ball, with the one zappy thing on. So this is this artist hasn't seen what the death egg is supposed to look yeah, like. Yeah, to is kind of estimate. Having a good guess. When I was reading this, I didn't know that this is the game just being drawn as a comic because I hadn't played it. So I mm. was just reading this like it was an original set of concepts. Uh, see, um, I, I, I knew that the death egg existed, but I didn't. I didn't know what the robot was, for instance. I think I did know that. I think it had come through the grapevine to me that that's in Sonic 2 in, in some way. Mm. By the way, I found out today that the Death Egg is older than we might think. Huh? Yeah, when the, when the, I, and I think this is true. When the first Sonic game came out, there was an animated advert for it in Japan. Hedgehog! <laughs> Which ended with Sonic blowing up the Death Egg. Sonic 1! Huh. Well, there you go. Weird, right? Something else I was going to mention about uh, the art here is that um, the one thing he gets a bit wrong is that when Sonic turns his head, he's got two spikes on his head and two on his back, which we know is, is incorrect. But again, I found out that was that that's actually one of the original Sonic uh, style sheet drawings has that in it. Oh, he must have been working off that then. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, I know you're right. It's it's not right, but <laughs> it doesn't not look right. No, no not <laughs> if, at all. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I do like this artist's embracing of the uh, the blue ball Sonic when he jumps and does a yeah. spin attack into things. It's it's simple and a bit of a skive, but it really made drawing my own Sonic comics more fun. <laughs> hey, I mean, uh, Elson would do very similar visual cheats like yeah. that to convey Sonic's movement. So just part of the STC artistic lexicon isn't it and then they fly to the death egg in an x-wing and this is the first time i have got that joke i mean i know star wars is the big thing now and it has been for a long time but i was born just as jedi was coming out so the star wars craze was well and truly over by the time i was at school and those with us with you know older brothers and so on got it in got into star wars sooner than others but there was a certain crowbarring of star wars back into our line of vision that went on in the mid 90s oh certainly i i had uh, no particular i didn't see star wars till the special edition re-release no that it was around i saw them just before that because they they ceremoniously re-released the original versions on vhs and that was it um and in fact i don't think i recognized that the death egg was the death star until like god probably when the dvds came out <laughs> i feel like i i knew that so I must have understood. Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I never made the X-Wing connection, all right. Yeah. It's because cause in the landscape shot, it is just the spaceship as it appears sitting on the dock in the game. Yeah. But then, right. then he has to in- invent a three-dimensional uh, long shot of it. And yeah, it's got the it's got the X-Wing. So yeah, he probably was going for that, wasn't he? I wonder if they were going for that in the game. Do we see the wings of it in the I game? I don't know if we I do. we do. I think he's made that one up. In fact, this this leads to something that I wanted to bring up. References in general. I think I think we were just growing up in a time when everyone was doing like 
like all of our cartoons and stuff was doing knowing references to Star Wars, Golden Age of Hollywood yeah, stuff. Yeah. Do you remember like um, Muppet Babies was made up oh, of references? Oh, um, and if, I mean, and then and then this is the '90s, so this is this the is mouth the of Tiny Toons and Animaniacs, where yes. t- cartoons that would reference things that we didn't get in the slightest. Right, but what that the effect that that has is that if you do that enough, then you end up with kids, and I was one of these kids, and not everyone yes, me too, me too, who don't realize that like every single reference to say Star Wars is a reference to the to one. Same thing, and I was just sort yeah. Of... We know them from it becomes it's a sort of cultural mimetic mutation where yeah. we know the thing yeah. from the reference, not from the thing because they're just the zillions of things that all use the same what I mm. thought was basic cultural imagery. So I thought that like stuff like an X shaped spaceship and like a laser sword was just the sort of thing we put in stuff. I didn't realize these were references. And then the last thing I want to mention. Look what's going on on the last page with that Sonic landing on the escape pod. Like, part of his spike is missing, and it... Yes. It looks like... I noticed this way back in the day, and it's remained lodged in my memory ever since. It seems like maybe the Sonic figure has been pasted over the above panel, and, like, the the edge of it has been folded folded over. over. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. But, I don't know, looking at it... I don't think that is what it is. Yeah, this is because that that has been the explanation in my mind for twenty five years. Same, but now that I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, no, that doesn't make any sense because then his ear would be out to out to be Jesus. <laughs> well, exactly, and you can actually see all of his ear. He's got yeah, tiny ears. Yeah. So, like, yeah, what has what happened, has happened there? there? My best, yeah. my best guess is that either there was a not a Tipex spill, because it's too pointy yeah, for that. Little... I wonder if there was just chunks of white paper that someone accidentally spilled into the scanner. Yeah, it's, it's a little, a little, just a little snippet of, a little triangle of paper that has, through sheer providence, landed on such an amazingly precise spot of the <laughs> of the page. Yeah. So yeah, if, uh, if anyone is reading this, it's not just your copy, that's in the comic. Yeah, the story ends. Sonic tells Tails to take the escape pod and then steers the egg into the ocean. And Tails thinks Sonic has died, but Sonic's just riding on the back of the escape pod. This was how I interpreted the end of Sonic 2, by the way. That moment where, you know, all the little animals in grayscale... Yeah, they're looking up and they think he's dead. They, they think he's dead. It doesn't go into great detail there, but I that's how I interpreted it. They thought he'd yeah, given yeah, his yeah. life to save Mobius. He was the bravest hedgehog I ever <laughs> met. Not to mention the coolest, bluest, fastest thing on life. <laughs> there is a lot of what we would recognize as the iconic STC depiction of Sonic and Sonic's relationship with Tails oh, yeah. in this story. This is very, very prototypical. Almost there, but just not just almost there with this yeah. one. Um, and I don't. Uh, and I'm. I'm glad to see that it's not just me that thinks that. <laughs> that, that my memory of it isn't warped because it was my first issue. No, this is, Nigel has landed running. Refuse. Refuse. What do we got this issue? We got Mazin Wars. You know what this is, by the way, because it's something. It's something significant. It looks damnably familiar. It, it says that the the opening paragraph here is that Mazin Wars or Mazin Saga, as it was originally called in Japan, is based around a very famous comic strip. Very famous comic strip. I didn't have time to look up what the strip was. Well, I did. The very famous comic strip is Mazinger Z, the 70s manga that introduced the concept of mecha robots piloted by a human in a cockpit. That's pretty important. Yeah. 
that's quite well reviewed than Sega World Tournament Golf. I gotta tell you, I got bored just reading the review, never mind playing I, the game. Who could possibly, I mean, imagine playing a golf game? I played some golf games, but... Did you? Wow, was this a dry review. And I think... Oh, I didn't read it. Couldn't even be bothered. Oh, well, I mean, I read them all, you know. But that's funny because, did you read the Summer Challenge review next to it? Well, just before we move on to that, I just wanted to point out that here in the raves it says, the graphics will make your friends green with envy. Just used so they can say the word green, but green. no, it wouldn't. No no friend would ever be envious of a golf game. Sorry, <laughs> but it's true. I, I think Tony Takushi has a... We've pointed this out in past, but he's got a very dry style for the review section, which uh-huh. you have to assume it's kind of... In the name of not really giving an opinion... Uh, it's really just about listing the features <laughs> of the game. And listing the features of a yeah. golf game is tremendously dull. But then you read the Summer Challenge review, which is written by Richard Burton, not Tony Takushi, and it actually has a bit of life to it. It opens with a joke, <laughs> a, a little quip, and it's not just a list of descriptors yeah. after that. And I feel like that is the style that the reviews would settle into as we would go on. I've been paying close attention to the names attached to these reviews as we go along because I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how it shakes out. I looked up Summer Challenge because I am not interested in sports games, but something about this caught my eye. Well, yeah, because this is very similar to the game that was your very first game, isn't it? Editor Dave here, just because we didn't clarify what he means by that, he's referring to the fact that I've made a big long video called Dave's First Game, in which I do a sort of rundown of what it was like to be playing ZX Spectrum games in the 1980s. Now the game happens to be one of those sports games that you used to be able to get in those days, where you would have to hammer two buttons over and over again, or waggle your joystick left and right really hard, um, in order to get your little on-screen athletes to pick up speed. That's what he's talking about, you can find the video if you're interested by searching for Demon Tomato Dave, Dave's first game. Okay, back to the podcast then. No, wait, actually, before we go back, I've been trying to find somewhere to drop this in. I haven't found anywhere, so I'm going to do it here. Um, The music in this game is hilarious because it seems to have been input by just a MIDI keyboard, by just someone playing it, but then they haven't quantized it, if that's the word, to the beat. So the Mega Drive actually like plays back all the little mistakes that whoever recorded it made. And I just wanted to hear this other bit now as we go back into the podcast. Listen to this. Exactly, and this the, the, the joke at the start is, you can't convince me that sports games aren't the fiendish invention of joystick manufacturers. What better way to destroy a perfectly good joystick than hitting it repeatedly to get some on-screen athlete moving? Uh, then, of course, there's no choice but to buy a new one. And that made me think, oh, is this a track and field? And I looked it up and I guess it must be because he says it is, but I didn't really see anything that resembled that sort of game. In fact, I'm quite interested in this one because if it is that sort of game, then it takes that format and puts the camera behind the athlete and does the whole thing in 3D, which is a significant step up and I might look into it. It's a little evolution. It's got a horse in it. It's got a horse in it. (laughs) Just a madbird. Just a On the next page, we've just got a couple of adverts. It's literally two, page cut in half. At the top, it's another fab freebie from STC, 
Bubsy jackets and hats to be given away for free. Ah, uh, Bubsy. And later on, we're going to be finding out that Bubsy is about to come out. Um, they've got five Bubsy baseball coach jackets and 15 Bubsy homie hats for free if you do something. I didn't read it. All I was interested in here was the fact that uh, it says, so how do you get your claws into these goodies? Easy. Send a postcard or sealed down empty envelope with your full name and address printed neatly on it to the address on this page and the first five pulled from Tails's old exoskeleton <laughs> after Monday the 15th of August will each receive a furbulous Bubsy jacket. I mean, hey, cool, but like... If you didn't read issue two, that's nuts. Yeah, that sounds a bit... I was like, pulled from Tails is what? Oh, I was getting a little distressed as that yeah, sentence was going it's on. because it, I don't know what they're talking about. I don't know what they were going for. That's a euphemism for pulled from the mailbag, but it's a very... It's a... Yeah. yeah. I feel like the idea of using euphemisms for the mailbag was, was pretty common parlance for, for right. you know, kids' comics competitions. You know, you know the first right. five entries pulled from one of Sonic's old sneakers or, or well, yeah. the, the, the first five entries pulled from Optimus Prime's trailer or, or right, something right, like right. that, you know. Weird choice, though. But yeah, because it's not a container. Yes! If you happen to have read issue two, and you happen to know that Tails at one point was given a, a robot exoskeleton, and you happen to be able to imagine letters arriving in that, I don't know what they're on about here. It's a weird choice. Shinobi. One, two, three. The Fear Pavilion, part six. Written by Alan McKenzie, art by John Howard, letters by Ellie DeVille. And in this issue, on the final level of the Neo Zeeds Pavilion, Masashi believes he had found Naoko, but soon discovers the woman is in fact the Neo Zeed ninja codenamed Water, one of the four elements, the evil organization's elite ninja masters. Confronted by all four elements, Musashi escapes to fight another day. And that's strange, isn't it? That the finale of the whole story is yeah. he just nopes out of the boss fight and that's it. For me, as the final chapter of something, I found this quite cool because I was always into um, four element stuff. I like the idea of guys with the four powers. But but yeah, as a dramatic conclusion to a six-issue chapter, I mean, uh, there's not a tremendous amount to say, so we will take this opportunity to talk about Shinobi as a whole, and I think yeah. it was friggin' great. Yeah. It was the best one. Really, really good. Um, full of dynamism. Uh, great art, and uh, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure back in the day I kind of rolled my eyes at it, but yeah. now I kind of chuckle knowingly whenever Musashi clocks that it's not really Naoko yeah. because her red under kimono is slightly exposed <laughs> brazenly, as the narration box tells us. That's right. I was a bit, dis I was slightly disappointed by the reveal actually, because I thought it'd be cool if. It was her, and she was the leader of the Neo Zed <laughs> this whole time. That would have been ace. But I, I always liked like elemental power stuff. So yeah. as somebody who had no knowledge or understanding of Shinobi, what the strip up to this point had been about was pretty clearly explained to me within the first three yep. caption boxes. Yep. Then I had the twist, which functioned. Yep. Then I met some cool baddies. And then they're, they kind of ended. Mm. There is no dramatic final showdown. It is... It's a, it is um, I don't want to use well. It's it's an anticlimax in the in the literal sense. Yes. In that it's that's all it is. It's just the follow through from the actual climactic moment of of the reveal. There is no, there's no showdown. There's no final fight. Yes, and he just nopes out. Uh, but and it's I think it's made to feel especially strange because on the second to last page of the comic there is uh, sorry of the Shinobi comic there is 
a full page picture. Yeah, which full I, page. I don't think we've had before. You didn't see a lot of those in Sonic the Comic. I, no. I don't think we've had one in Shinobi before, certainly. And it's and you, you wouldn't see a lot of them. No, ever. And it is these four elemental warriors revealing themselves. So it really looks as if we're in for a fight, and then we just don't get one. And pretty much, <laughs> just... yeah. And and I guess that's fine because by this point we do know that there's going to be a further Shinobi story where presumably yeah. they do deal with this this group. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we have here essentially is like, it it almost turns out the previous issue was the climax. And yeah, yeah, kind of. This is set up for what's to come. I love, uh, as my first issue again, this was my first like exposure to the idea of the, the, the Harage, the, the ninja radar. Yes. That's probably as far as this Shinobi series got into any of the sort of the weirder, more unearthly mythical abilities of the ninja. But we'd see more of that in future issues, oh. future Shinobi stories. And I was always, I always liked that kind of, um, the, the, the unearthliness of it, you know. Yeah. There's a thing he does in later stories where he like he enters a trance to draw strength from the earth, you know, oh, and stuff like that. Cool. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's just people, but then this one's got a radar, and then these guys have element powers, and I'm like, oh, maybe there, maybe there's more to this than yeah. But yeah, as a dramatic conclusion, it's a pinch lacking. Yeah. But uh, it's not enough to like spoil the experience of the story or anything absolutely not i think it might have been enough if you'd been really looking forward to the finale it might have been but from our perspective no it's fine it's great no i I, I certainly with with the knowledge that this is merely act one of a three plus shinobi stories that we'll get over the years yeah can't wait formula one is described here as the first motor racing game officially approved by the FIA Formula One World Championship, the ruling body of the sorry, sport. Sorry, 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 Dave. I fell asleep during that. What? <laughs> Listen, I bring it up only because it's a surprise that this was printed in the days when, you know, there hadn't be every sport hadn't had an official game yet. True, yeah. And, and here's the first one, apparently. All right, let's have something more interesting then. Echo. Echo leaps higher on Mega CD. Echo described here as currently the gaming world's most popular dolphin. A competitive field, I'm sure you'll agree. I mean, I can't argue with the facts. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever play Echo? I, you know, the, you, I was going to make a quip there where you say moving on to something more interesting because I think at this point in time I, I would not have found Echo particularly exciting either. I would have been sort of in between. I, I played Echo. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't own it. I did play it, but I wasn't very good at it, and the the languidness of it didn't work well, for me so much. Loved the Echo strip when it came along later future episodes readers but uh, listeners but the game never totally i never quite got there with the game i feel like it might be one i would appreciate more if i went back now i I agree i was big into the dreamcast version uh but uh never yeah oh that's very very interesting but as you say echo will get its own strip so we'll talk about that closer to the time the one thing i wanted to point out here was where the uh the caption for the photo says echo looking good and uh does it not to you look at first glance like he's grown a pair of shapely human legs <laughs> well no, no it does it's actually they, they just happen to have two dolphins right next to each other with their tails yeah. at different positions of swimming but it does look quite sexy you poor unfortunate soul <laughs> um the new Faces of Golden Axe is the next uh, column here Golden Axe yes, 3 Golden Axe 3 is coming up 
And it's just a column describing the characters. Because they're all going to be new. scant of news. Forget these guys that we know from the comic strip. There's going to be a whole new cast of characters coming out soon. And uh, And some of these names. Oh, what have you got there? A man called Glinder. Yes, and do you know why? Why? I looked it up. Uh It's one of those situations where the final names are a bit different because they'd got this press release from Japan. Hey, this is a not-so-proud gaming tradition that we we end up with. He's Grinder. And so it becomes Glinder. Oh boy, that is rough. It's Porygon all over again. All over the first time. A woman called Burn, Cragger the Giant, Cronus the Jaguar, and the Falcon Man. The Falcon Man, the, the, yeah. The Falcon Man. And I mean, he is. Look, there he is. That's a Falcon Man. He's if a ever Falcon Man, one. yeah, but this isn't Thundercats. He's not even like a Falcon Man. He's just a Falcon. He's more of a Man Falcon. Yeah, he's a Falcon <laughs> with human arms and legs is what we're looking at here. Um, and uh, I looked this up, by the way, just in case there was anything else interesting about Golden Axe 3. And there is. Gilius Thunderhead is apparently in it. Uh, he's not a playable character, though, and this description from Wikipedia is quite a bit of fun. The dwarf retired before this adventure. He dropped his axe into the mithril fires of his homeland and stole a walking staff from one of the elves that tried to rob him while he was camping. He tried to give the axe back to the gods, but a shipwreck caused him to be injured, losing his weapon to Damod. Through his ancient wisdom, the dwarf has adopted the role of sage, guiding the characters on their quest. Good old Gilius. Well, I have to say that does sound like the Gilius I know from Sonic the Comic, doesn't it? It does, doesn't it? Stole a stick from an elf. <laughs> In the short burst column, we're told about a game called Haunting, starring Guy. Lots of fun. Yeah, I've, I, I feel like I might have heard of it, never played it. Sounds like fun, though. Abby had this one. You've got a, a big house, and you are basically haunting a family by selecting things in the house, and they and, uh, essentially just play haunted versions of that thing animations until you win. <laughs> sounds a bit like Ghost Trick. Then we've got uh, Future Ball. Sport with robots is still sport. Oh, yeah. Don't, don't interest me. <laughs> We're then told about uh, the upcoming game, Shining Force. Mm, yes. Um, uh, 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 yeah. Not a JRPG, man. Uh, you know, Dave, in my old age, I'm trying to teach myself. I did recently play through the wonders of the SNES Mini. Yes. Uh, I did recently play and genuinely enjoyed Super Mario RPG. I had a really good time with that. Shining Force, apparently, according to this, includes the ability to save the game. Whoa! Oh, that was coming in. <laughs> I mean, you kind of had to have that for... You had to have it for RPGs, so I'm sure... Yeah. I wonder what the first game to ever have it on Mega Drive was. I wonder. Now... What's interesting to me here is that uh, Shining Force is the cheapest game on the page, even though it's a massive JRPG. Hmm. Virtua Racing. Um, The Mega Drive version of that sizzling coin-op game Virtua Racing is getting closer to completion, we're told. Now, Virtua Racing, that's the game that was going to change everything. We like the moments when this podcast is like a time capsule of what was happening then. Porting this game to the Mega Drive meant inventing a new chip, the Sega Virtual Processor, to go in the cartridge that could process 3D in a way that was faster and more impressive than the SNES's Super FX chip, and which Sega hoped would be reusable to turn the Mega Drive into the machine of the future that was doing 3D games and stuff. And it was never used again. Damn, that was, that was going to be my next question. You'd be like, Dave, yeah. did it work? Oh, it worked. <laughs> it, in terms of the that game, it worked. But How expensive was it? Very. This cartridge cost, it was $100, I think. Um, yeah. Ooh. I don't know what it was in, in pounds, if it even came out here. Sonic 3, though, 
and this is of interest to us, was in production at the time under the name of Sonic 3D with a uh. polygonal Sonic and everything, and it was supposed to use this chip, but then it was, oh. it was just too expensive. Did that inspire the special stages? Could have done. Who knows? Penultimately, over the page, we are told that an 8-bit version of Desert Strike has been developed by the Kremlin. <coughs> That's what it says. Yeah, the D- Domark's in-house programming team. The Kremlin. And finally, uh, we are told that Bubsy is coming out. Ah, Bubsy. Look out, Sonic. There's a fast furry feline on your tail. Bubsy Bobcat in Claws Encounters of the Third Kind. I hadn't been aware that that was what it was called, but apparently Oh, I remember that, yeah. It's like, you know, begun these mascot wars have. They really wanted Bubsy to be a thing. I never played Bubsy, and it says here that uh, you'll believe... There's a huge repertoire of expressions and mannerisms and a digitised voice... You'll believe a bobcat can say auga and fluff dry. Uh, I'm sure he did. I haven't found any evidence of this uh, online because there's only so long you can bear to, to look at a video of. I did play Bubsy. I never owned it, but I did uh, I did either borrow it or, or rent it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I remember the digitized voice being very, very, you know, one of the big impressive features huh? of the game for the day. You know, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah, so he he opened the first level. People make fun now, and I think they made fun then. But there was something to be said for like games that were close to being cartoons coming out of your console. Oh yeah, that sort of thing. Next, there's a full-page advert that you at home won't have if you're reading scans, listeners. For Max the Lion, it says, "Keep your rubbish. It's worth something." For only 12 Max the Lion lolly sticks, you can send off for a Max Fax Filofax. Which, I mean, hey, was this the prototype for Fun Facts? I don't think Fun Facts was quite out at this stage. But yeah, Max the Lion was the mascot for a certain range of ice creams and lollies. I don't remember Max the Lion ice creams. Do you not? No, I don't. I do. Golden Axe! Citadel of Dead Souls, Part 6. Usual creative team, written by Mark Isles, art by Mike White, letters by Tom Frame. Tyrus Flair and Gilius Thunderhead arrive at Fire Drake Fell, just as Black Spell and Dark Gold are about to sacrifice Axe Battler to the mountain's volcanic pit to complete Gold's return to life. The two heroes combine their powers of fire and earth to collapse the volcano, and our heroes escape with the Golden Axe while the villains are buried alive. I like this... Uh, yeah, I did too. Haven't yeah, got yeah. much to say, but uh... no, it's uh, it's very much in the same vein of not just Golden Axe, but the Mark Isles script, where there's these few really random feeling wedged in asides. Yes, like when that merchant wizard appeared a few issues ago. This time they spend a couple of panels stealing magical potions from elves so they can recharge before the yes, final now, battle. Yes, now this is a nice little gag. Um, they they find some elves who are just like hanging out. They've got a little campfire and they go, oh look, elves, just what we need. Beat it, you little thieves. And then they just ransack what the elves had in their sacks. Yeah, they steal what they, they stole. I think it's it's really telling as well that we're in a pre-Lord of the Rings movies era with yes. this, isn't it? Because you, you don't see elves as, as uh, little people anymore, do you? They are the ethereal, beautiful beings. Whereas here, 
they're basically hobbits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I was going to say dwarves, but Gilius is a dwarf. So there's no... I mean, they've got pointed ears. That's the However, difference. these are from the game. And if you hadn't played the game, yeah. then you don't know that elves are, in fact, the bane of life and are indeed nothing but low-down dirty thieves. Uh, in which case, you know, this, this whole joke seems a bit more callous and even more funny if you don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think... Yeah. They just attack this innocent pair of elves and just steal everything they've got. Speaking of callous and funny... <laughs> Whenever Tyrus and Gilius bust in, just before they throw, they're trying to the golden blackspell are going to throw an uh, axe in the lava. Yeah. Tyrus comes at them with the axe, and she goes, "You want to be separated? I can fix that." <laughs> she comes down with the axe as if to chop the two heads straight down the middle. Yeah. He gets away though, but then you know we see that she's she she's taken a good whack out of him, but she hasn't quite cleaved him. Where do we? I don't really see how he gets away. Yeah, it just happens off. Oh, panel. I see. It's, and it's, then- the, it's that weird disconnectedness of a Mark Isles script again, where something has happened off panel and we're just told about it. Now you tell me what you've got because I'm looking. Looking at my uh, in my copy here, uh, the next. Oh, there's a possibility Abby has coloured the blood. No, the blood is here in the uh, original. Okay, because the next time you yes. see them, the the wizard side is kind of clutching the space between their necks with blood running down his hand, and that's yes the evidence of the injury. But yeah, so Tyrus I has taken a whack out of them. It is not your wife's bloodthirstiness <laughs> coming through this time, uh, listeners. If you don't remember, in a previous issue, Dave is working from copies of the comic that belonged to his wife Abby and little Abby was a little bloodthirsty she she coloured in the blood in a previous issue and <laughs> it's it, not true in this case they're in the original art this time around yeah I love these lava guys yeah they summon Tyrus and Gilius combine their magic to summon lava summonses basically big no 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 um um Gold and black spell summon the Oh, lava you're talking guys. about those guys. Demon of lava, we command you, send us your I warriors. I was talking about the uh, the big eagle that shows up made of kind of lava. Yeah, yeah. No, I like the lava guys, but then, yeah, Tyrus and Gilius combine their powers to make like a big firebird that collapses the yeah. volcano. I assume the lava guys are probably from the game. It seems... Well, we've determined a few times in the course of this, we've made that assumption and yeah. we were wrong. <laughs> So yeah. who knows? They do seem like they something from a game, though. So, th- so you know, Golden Axe succeeds where perhaps Shinobi didn't, and then it does get to have this big dramatic final ah! moment. Uh, even if the nature of a six-page strip, meaning spaces at a premium, maybe means it doesn't quite get the space to breathe artistically that would make it a more impactful image. But. Uh, but it, you have that big moment. And then, and then you know, the final words from the villains as the heroes scarper out and everything explodes in fire and, and everything behind them. You know, you hear Black Spell howling, Don't leave me! And then I love this line from Dark Gold. It's so Tulsa Doom. You know, it's like, I will not die again! Yeah. <laughs> and then it all blows up. Good action. Good stuff. And that for now is it for Golden Axe. I'm sorry to see it go now. now yeah, that yeah, we warmed up to it, didn't we? Yeah, but I'm past my childhood distaste for just people and like, yeah, I'm really now impressed with the way it's all painted and drawn and it yeah. just looks great. I mean, that's the single best, most impressive thing about Golden Axe is the art. It's a very different uh, school aesthetically from pretty much anything else I think we'd ever see in uh, in Sonic the comic. It harkens back to an older era of British kids comic. Yeah. Um, and it does it does I mean, actually you know speaking of older British kids comics this single panel here where Tyrus and Gilius drink the potions and it's a silent panel and all there is is just a narrative caption explaining it in the driest way possible 
The potions recharged the pair's magic powers. That's like something out of Commando or one of those British boys action comics from decades prior where it would just be still or silent images with a text caption explaining what was happening. Yeah. It harkens to a different era. But it's, it's still, it still has those occasional moments of like deadpan comedy that work and then those other weirder moments of sort of slight disconnectedness where things don't naturally feel like they flow into one another. So it's a, a flawed strip but one we definitely warmed up to as we went Long. Yeah. Um, what would you say to an Atari Lynx? Uh, hello, Atari Lynx. I'm Chris. <laughs> We've got an advert, a full-page advert here saying, what would you say to an Atari Lynx? Lovely Jubbly. And this is because Jubbly, <laughs> which was, was the a... 90s. Well, okay. Uh, people of the present. Imagine if uh, Capri Sun was sold on the premise that if you put it in the freezer, it would freeze. <laughs> That's basically what Jubbly was. and uh, Or Lovely Jubbly, rather. And uh, there were these sort of strange... Twisted pyramid-shaped packages of, of orange juice. Yes, they were triangular tetrapacks. Yeah. Um, and you froze them, and it, it says there are lovely jubbly prize chance tickets or lovely jubbly surprise prizes in thousands of lovely jubbly orange four packs, and the prizes are five Atari Lynx game systems, or ten Rally mountain bikes, or twenty-five Ooh. Yamaha keyboards, or Ooh. fifty walkie-talkies. Oh wow, this is the uh, the gamut of prizes that every major 1990s kids combo offered isn't it yeah 75 super soakers 100 lovely jubbly sports bags 500 cameras or 750 solar calculators that's quite a job lot of solar calculators isn't it yeah they must have got like must have found a pallet somewhere i mean they must Um, have robbed a factory (laughs) i was gonna assume the lowest tier prize would be some some more free lollies i know (laughs) sorry i'm eating a biscuit You know, normally that's how it works, isn't it? You know, the trip to to Malaga or the the Casio keyboard or, you know, (laughs) digestives for life or something or a year's supply of Jaffa cakes. Hey, give me a year. Give me digestives for life. Way before you give me a holiday. I don't want a holiday. (laughs) Give me those digestives. Q zone. A Q&A special in the Q zone this time. Yeah, people are writing in with their questions and uh, STC is replying to them. And some of the questions are... Well, none of them are particularly interesting. No, um, I don't think I owned any of these games again. I pl- oh, uh, I played Sonic 2, and I played Streets of Rage, and I played Castle of Illusion. Actually, I, maybe I played most of them, but I didn't own any of them. Yes, well, let's start with Sonic 2, then. The question here is, I'm stuck on the casino night zone. God, I yeah, keep yeah. getting killed by Dr. Robotnik. Do you have any tips? And that's James Lowe in, in Liverpool admitting there that he just isn't good enough at Sonic 2 to get past the casino night zone. And uh, a tremendously unhelpful answer that's basically, that's like, well, you go up the sides and hit him. <laughs> and like, I know, yeah, yeah. I know what I'm supposed to do, but <laughs> that doesn't help me. Uh, there's a Golden Axe question here. I've tried says Adam Richmond of Barry in South Glamorgan. Uh, I've tried the level select cheat from STC issue 1 for Golden Axe on the Mega Drive, but I can't make it work. What am I doing wrong? And the answer is, I can't understand why it's not working for you, Adam. I've tried the cheat and it does work. Well, yeah, stupid. <laughs> I looked it up and uh, I know what the problem was. Uh, uh-huh. The reason it didn't work is that STC said to press left. The internet tells me the actual cheat, you press diagonal down left. Oh, there you go then. Oh, flaws from Sonic. In the middle there, Robert Plant, widely regarded as one of the greatest vocalists in the history of rock music and the man on whose voice half the metalheads of the 80s based their singing voice, writes in to ask for a cheat for the game Chakan the Forever Man on the Mega Drive and receives one. I've never heard of that game, but I love the title. Streets of Rage 2 is back with another one of those port-swapping cheats. You have to press some stuff with the joypad in port 1, Ugh. and then unplug, plug into port 2, press some stuff. Don't get that anymore, do you? 
luckily. No, thank God. Well, you don't get any of these anymore, do no, you? you don't get cheats, do you? No. Games are too easy these days. <laughs> Let me tell you another thing. <laughs> There's a sidebar down the side of Master System cheats, because at this point they're well aware the Master System is an afterthought in, in most yeah. children's minds. Um, there's a there's a question about Speedball 2 here, which has a slightly weird answer. Um, I have Speedball 2, but I can't get into Division 1. Can you give me the code, please? And the reply is, having trouble getting into the top, eh? Well, since you buy the comic, I will help you. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Take it easy. Buckle. Yeah. You're not asking that of anyone else. Judgy. And I don't think this was Richard Burton writing this sidebar, because again, the next one is uh, Alex Kidd. Someone here says, uh, can you give me any help for Alex Kidd in high-tech world? And, and the answer is, I have came up with some help, Stephen, which I hope will be of help to you. I have a level code below for you. It's like asking for uh, video game cheat codes from Akinator. Oh, wow. Oh, there's a deep cut. There's a bit of a deep cut, but it's got that weird disconnectedness. I will guess a second time. <laughs> I have come up with an answer. <laughs> Wonderboy in Demon World, Part 5. Written by Mark Isles, art by Bojan Dukac. Do we know how to pronounce that yet? I really did some Googling. I can't find anything about this character. And letters by Steve Potter. Cheyenne arrives in Demon World and immediately has to dispatch its two unfriendly immigration officers when he can't provide papers. Exploring the city of Demonopolis, Cheyenne learns the location of the captives taken from Monster World, only for his arm, transformed by Grimerman's demonic magic, to take on a life of its own and attack him. So this was my first exposure to Wonder Boy. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, ever? Including the game or anything? Yeah, I'd never heard of the games or anything. That never I heard of it? Well, I, I don't know, to be honest. I might not have. And then I get this... I mean, you you may recall, listeners, the fury that Lauren and Hardy brought upon me last <laughs> issue. You may see now why. Because as soon as he steps through the portal, there are two what are essentially uh, immigration officials waiting to take his papers. Yep. And their names are Schwartz and Egger. Schwartz and, like, and I was, I, I got it when I was young, yep. and I looked at it, and I was like, okay, <laughs> why? Yeah. Even then, I was like, why? Yeah, why? Exactly. What does it what have does to it do? What does it have to do with anything? My name is Schwartz, and mine is Egger, the immigration control. <laughs> one of them looks Schwarzenegger-y, but there's no... that The one with the visor and the high cut. Yeah, yeah. he does. Suddenly, we're in a jokey one like they, I feel like this is way more jokey than we've been before. Not just Schwarzenegger, yeah, but like it's it's better. Like yeah. I mean, I grump at it, yeah, but it is jokier. So well, and just the concept of there being immigration officers in hell who ask yeah. for your papers, you know, that's quite funny. And and of course, immediately upon meeting them. He just like magics them away, and they say, "We'll be back." Yeah, we'll be back. Well, he doesn't magic them away. They they do appear to fall down dead. Oh yeah. Yeah, they're, they're right there. This isn't like that other one where that guy disappeared after he stabbed him. Their corpses are lying right there. I was not paying attention to that. You're absolutely correct. It's just how it's how portally their death looks in the panel yes, before. Yes, it does look very pew, as if he's teleporting them or somewhere. But yeah, I mean, even though the names are weird and irrelevant, it, it, there was that joke back in ugh, issue one, maybe, was it? Where... The guy we're talking about, where Cheyenne asks him about Demon World, and he says, "Oh, it's a lovely place. We're here on a recruitment drive, yeah. and we see it's all it's all slaves in yokes pulling carts and everything. And it's that kind of um, uh, the bureaucracy of evil. Even this world has <laughs> someone who like 
stamps your passport whenever you come through the portal and if they don't they fill you in in triplicate i kind of wish we'd had more of that sort of thing very much so (laughs) yes but but then again yeah what is it for because yeah schwarzenegger as far as i'm aware wasn't in a film about immigration officers it was just no it's the same as laurel and hardy it's just a random reference but if you even if you take that out the rest of the gag still works and it carries on into when cheyenne visits the shame inn and talks to uh that doesn't seem to be a pun, does it? It's just. An, oh yes, it is. Oh, dude, d- this d- is d- what I was going to ask you. Did you clock this one? Because it took me a bit of thinking. Here we are in the third page, and in the shame in. And yes, I was going the shame. What is it to do with shame? The shaming. The, the shaming. Wait, wait a minute. He then meets the proprietor, the bartender, who says, "Drums, Drums me, name. me name. I'm the boss here. I'm the boss. Chris. Yeah. Boss Drum was the name of the shaman's album." Son of a... <laughs> the one that had Ebenezer the Good on shaman. it. The Oh, my <laughs> God. Oh. That's it. Podcast <laughs> over. I'm gone. I'm out of here. That's and I it. only, I only figured this later. out. Because I, I was like, wait a minute. I, I missed the part where he said, I'm the boss here, but I saw drum. And I was already going like, the shaman? The shaman? And I remembered the song, Boss Drum. So then I was like, oh, boss drum? But he just says his name's drum. And then, no, he says, I'm the boss here. It is definitely a reference. Oh, it is. No, you got it. That's it. I'm furious. So the question is, what have we missed? What else is there? I don't feel like anybody else has even been named for for there to be a joke about them. No, but I... The only other thing we've seen has been jellyfish and toadstools. Old Kevin. It doesn't feel like there's room for any more references like this, but I don't know. I feel as if maybe... Because that one is so close. If I hadn't happened to remember the song Boss Drum, the rhythm that has always been within, if I didn't just happen to remember that, I would not have known there was a joke in this page. So, like, goodness knows what else I've been missing. I was distracted by the name of the thing a little. Yeah. I was like... I mean, it it does kind of work on its own anyway, because if the idea is that they're in Demon World, it's hell. If If they're in hell... And, like, the inn is just shame. And, like, all the other things are, like, named after vices and sins and stuff. And it's like, yeah, it works anyway. So I didn't really think that there was anything to that. God, boss drum. I am. (laughs) So mad. (laughs) By the way, I'm kind of at breaking point now with the pluralness of the name Grimomen. Well, you're hitting the second one terribly heavily. Grimomen. I know, I know, but it's spelled M-E-N. I've never heard of a... A man name that isn't M-A-N. Grimerman. Man. Grimerman. Have you ever seen anything else spelled like that? It's it's Grimerman. It's so weird. Grimerman. Now, I, I agree that it's pronounced... I'm pronouncing it Grimerman as well, but like... See, I can't... No, I, I focused on it then as well. It's so hard for me to get past. This is a plural word. Oh, the Grimerman, you say. Yeah, they come to take care of our grime. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, Cheyenne tells Drum that he's looking for Grimerman and, and then he, he immediately becomes very deferent, assuming Cheyenne is a friend of him. And it's like, Grimerman, the demon lord. Oh, why didn't you say he's a friend, a friend of him? He's a friend of mine. I'm a loyal subject. I love him. I does. I made a darkness shine over him for him. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he asks him where the people from Monster World are. Oh, they'll be working in Grimerman's praises corpulence pit castle. <laughs> and just drops, <laughs> drops little genuflections in the middle of his sentences. 
is quite fun. It is. Uh, this is probably the single best chapter of Wonder this Boy. This is that the we've best one, so definitely. It's got a sense of humor that actually works in in that that's not in that weirdly slightly deadpan disconnected way that we've had <laughs> up till now. And then you get like a decent kind of hook at the end that's actually predicated on something that already happened in the comic, not yes. something that you're maybe supposed to remember from the game, where his uh, the transformative magic has now transformed his entire arm and it punches him in the face and then starts strangling him and that's where we end the story yes although i'm at this point i'm just looking for more stuff like the shaman joke like where he says, <laughs> so he's he's strangling himself or rather his evil arm is strangling him and he says must control all of me my hand and that makes so little sense that i feel like i'm i was googling like must control all of me in case that was lyrics from something but i didn't find anything no i think that's just dramatic comic book uh uh, uh, must he get the goggles? They do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, the caption at the end says, "Next issue, flight, flight to, to Castle, Castle Bottom." Bottom. Yes. Looking forward to <laughs> Castle Bottom. <laughs> uh, I think it was really only my later exposure to the earlier chapters of Wonder Boy and what I remember being a fairly unimpressive second Wonder Boy strip that brought it down mm-hmm. in my estimation because. As my first exposure to it, I got the best chapter that there'd been so far, so I got pretty lucky. Yeah. And probably some of the nicest art so far as well, where the um Yes. The two sort of combative styles, the more um heavily nineteen nineties cross hatched and shaded style of the artist and the cutesy elements of the Japanese stuff weren't butting up against each other so hard. Or if they were, it's because it worked because we were in a land of awful things. Yeah, I agree with that. Honestly, the thing most drawn in this issue is these demon characters, which yeah. I'm pretty sure are not from the games at all. So yeah, yeah. basically, yeah, um, the artist here just has to insert this Wonder Boy character into a, a comic that's otherwise wholly original, as far as I can tell. And it works much better. Yeah, And, and it's I'm only really realising it as I look at it now, but it, it does have, aesthetically, artistically, it's got a lot of the hallmarks of your average hot 90s superhero comic of the time. Yeah. The heavy black arches, the metallic swirlings, the the very heavy use of cross-hatching. It's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one. Which it's is one. Not, not something we've been able to say about a lot of chapters of Wonder Boy so far. So <laughs> it's, a, it's a good issue all around. Probably the best single issue we've had so far. Yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, right. I think um, as a whole, if anything's letting the issue down weirdly, it's Shinobi. Purely for the slightly anticlimactic approach it takes to its story. Which, in the big picture, is not necessarily uh, a bad thing. But just as a as a package, if you had to point to one that had a, the most obvious weakness to it, it's probably that. Yeah, hmm. I think you're right there. Yeah, That's yeah, interesting, yeah, isn't it? It's a weird one. Yeah, it is actually, isn't it? Huh. Speedlines! Who we got from Speedlines this week? Well, I mean, somebody's put the boot in right away. Why doesn't Tails have his own comic strip? Why then, doesn't he have it? Yeah, and that's right. You know, honestly, if I was putting together a Sonic comic, that would be my, my first thought would be to have a Sonic strip and a tail strip, and then I would think about other stuff. Of course, this isn't a Sonic comic. This is a Sega comic. Uh, quite but right. They copped on. I mean, well, Mega Drive says, what do you think, Tails fans? Should he get his own strip? And, um, I mean, if future issues are anything to go by, people replied to that question and said, hell yeah, Tails should get his own strip. Yeah. And he should do things that you would just not have expected for a Tails strip to be about. Yeah, yeah that would be completely out of left field and nothing to do with it. Yeah, it would just, whatever you stuck Tails in Golden Axe, that would be the strip. <laughs> a very interesting point here. Someone writes in, well, I'll tell you who, Miss L.A. Richardson of Hexham, Northumberland writes in, and Sonic Badge winner at that, to ask, is it true that on the Mega CD... There's 
Well, she says there is an age limit on the games you can buy. What she means here is there are games with age ratings on the Mega CD. And this is treated as a really? No way. Yeah. Of course, now, completely no, ordinary. Isn't. And people pay as much attention to them now as they did then. <laughs> well, and the answer is yes, but just the one. Just and the that's one. Night, Night Trap. Trap. You've got to be 15. Yeah. Did you ever play Night Trap, dude? No. I've never played it. I mean, I know of it. Yeah, I know oh, of its yeah. infamy, but but I never played it. I mean, in our house, we would never have had anything of that sort. The uh, the closest thing that we ever had to that was that my parents found in their like computer room. They found a copy of something called Sex Vixens from Outer Space for the Amiga. <gasps> Sorry, from space, not outer space. I swear to you. It was not. Chris, it wasn't mine, officer. It wasn't mine. I would have remembered if it was mine. It was discovered in just the sort of place I would have hidden it. <laughs> Somebody so was trying I'm not to gonna stitch you up, Gov. Well, it maybe it was me that had it, but I I am sure I would remember this, and I do not. It certainly never made its way into the Amiga. Um, so I've <laughs> so I've yet to experience sex vixens from space. That's the evening plan for tonight, then. <laughs> So anyway, another example of this podcast being a time capsule of 1993 there is the fact that the concept of an age rating on a game was almost the stuff of rumour and myth. What else we got? Mum takes playing on my Master System too seriously, says Christine Langley of Cheltenham, Gloucestershire. (laughs) The other day she got further on Alex Kidd than she's ever got before. I told her to hit something and when she did, she got killed and then she shouted at me for losing her last life. That is unfair. Megadroid replies, I don't know, Christine, these adults are pretty much hopeless cases when they discover the wonders of Sega. I mean, that's completely out of order, isn't it? But it's an emotion I certainly recognise, you know, when you're... When you're further than you've ever been, and, and then someone in your has family the audacity, the audacity yeah. to speak to you, yeah, yeah. and it's not yeah. just because oh, in this yeah. particular case, Christine suggested something and the mum did it and it went wrong. Like when you're the furthest you've ever got in a game, you can pin your death on the slightest little oh, thing that yeah. your, for instance, younger brother did in the background. Um, I like to mention the fan art. Uh, yeah. We've got two pieces here. We've got uh, Ninja Sonic from Andrew John Husband of Redditch in Worcestershire. Well, there's no S, it, so it could be Hubend. But, oh, I beg uh, your pardon, it is Hubbend. And this is a yes, this is a perfectly good attempt at turning Sonic into a ninja. He hasn't just got a mask over his eyes. In fact, that's the only thing he hasn't got a mask over. Yeah. He's got one over his mouth. He's got a bandana over his head. He's got a sword there. Yeah, which is dripping with something that I don't think is blood because it's yellow. Oh, it's it's shines. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be boings. It's boings, yeah. He's got a kind of a belt on that's got, what, are we going to say shuriken? Yeah, that sounds right. Shuriken sounds right. We all knew what shuriken was, readers, because that's what the Turtles toys came with. Correct. And it it said so on the packaging, so what we had formerly (laughs) just known as ninja stars. Ninja throwing stars. We we knew now they had a proper name. And he's got a black belt, of course, because... Of course. And then the other one is, uh, and I've mentioned this before, is the sort of fan art that I I didn't really have the means of connecting with emotionally, although I Yeah, I still don't really get it now. No. I, I guess it's an example of kids connecting their fictional heroes with their real life heroes or something. The, the yes. art is a, is, is a picture of a, a racing car driver's helmet um, done up to, to look like Sonic. It's not Sonic wearing a helmet. It's a helmet no. with 
Sonic mapped onto it. That's right, as if as if a real racing driver Sonic's head could wear it. Is it a racing helmet or is it a motorcycle helmet? I can't tell the difference. Uh the the visor made me think race car drivers. Um Will Williams? Williams is racing, isn't it? This is the thing. No idea. It says at the top Sonic plus Williams. Yeah. It also says Renault. So what it is to to describe it, the helmet is drawn from the side and Sonic's head is, as you say, mapped onto it. And then what I quite appreciate is that between the spikes you have at the top the Sega logo yeah. and a load of rings, and then between the other spikes, a sort of background of of what appears to be the Green Hill Zone. Yeah, Very and another nice. an, another sponsor logo of some kind as well. It's the use of that plus. It's like something you'd see come out of Japan now. You know, you know where they have these crossover properties where it's X plus X. Like right. we've got we've got Transformers X Mazinger going on at the minute. You know. Oh, have you? Is that, is yeah, that a real? That's one? A, it's a real thing that's happening. Right oh now. well, there you yeah. are. And then we've just found out we're what just it is. Mazinger, yes. Yeah. If um, I'm but what? Mazinger correctly. Oh, you will. I think it's uh, Mazinger styled after the Big Bang Theory. Good face. I enjoy yeah, that I'm face. Not taking you up on that. Um, the one, one thing I wanted to mention is that uh, the way that this picture is cropped, if you look at the bottom, Jody yeah, Jordan of Wellwyn Garden City, Hertfordshire, has obviously written something below the helmet, but we're not to know what it is. It might just be... Possibly just their own name. It might be their own name, or it could be what is written in type under it, which is Sonic the Williams's racing helmet. Uh, very strange piece of wording there. Yeah, I would have put that more down to the copywriter misinterpreting the plus... As a V, oh, as a T. You're right there, yes. So next issue, two, two Megan new series. No way, what are they? They're Streets of Rage. Axel Blaze and Max were good cops in a city gone bad. Something had to be done. What? That sounds really cool. <laughs> and then, oh, I had a wonderful moment with this with Kid Chameleon, uh, reading this very page and getting a joke, get understanding something for the first oh. time. Uh, Kid Chameleon, he's a hero. He's dozens of them. Meet KC, the multi-hero kid. He's playing the most dangerous game in town. And I, it's KC, the letters KC. Yeah. And I was like... No, his name was Casey, not KC, because Kid Chameleon's name was Casey. No way. And then I was like, Kid Chameleon, KC, <laughs> Casey. <laughs> First time, got it, figured it out. Uh, what else we got next issue? Sonic the Hedgehog. He's supersonic. And he is. Oh. What? He is go. Oh. <laughs> Save it for next time. Can't wait, mate. We're also going to have Wonder Boy deeper into Demon World. Sonic the Comic number seven on the street Saturday, August 21st. Don't be a loser. Yeah. Order your copy now, you loser. Yeah, don't be a loser. And then, uh, have they said you can do better before? Is that new? Uh, no, that's, yeah, that's, I didn't spell that. Only 95p. You can do better? Yeah. I feel a little called out i know what like it's, it's not up to me to do better yeah i feel as if i didn't have a printing empire at the time so no yeah they're right i couldn't do better i can't do better yeah. now yeah. really i mean i think what it's, i mean what it's saying is like you're not going to get better value for your 95p anywhere but it, but it's basic it's it, the way it's phrased is like we f***ing dare you to try and find it you can't <laughs> you f***ing loser you're not going to find it anywhere yeah yeah you come back because you have to come back because you're a loser, you loser. 
So that wraps up uh, issue six. We'll be sharing all our memories of issue seven next time. In the meantime, if you want to follow us on social media, I'm at Chris McFeely on Twitter and also on YouTube. I am at Demon Tomato Dave on those places. Our opening song is Synchronized by Sonic the Comic The Band. You can find them at sonicthecomic.bandcamp.com where that song pretty much pops up automatically at this stage. This has been Sonic the Comic The Podcast. We will see you next fortnight when we will be joined by 2000 AD Art Droid Abby Bulmer. Goodbye! Bye! When the rack of the Death Egg begins to fall from orbit, Sonic and Tails acquire a spaceship from Dr. Robotnik's wing fortress and head into space to stop the plummeting satellite from crashing... <laughs> from crashing Chris.